It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Ainsley Earhart. I'm Brett Baer. I'm Katie Pavlich, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, July 1st, 2022. I'm Evan Brown. War like that in Ukraine becomes notorious for big explosions and large flying missiles. But wars are won hand-to-hand, and that's how Ukrainians are fighting. Maybe you have one guy who's starting in the military, but you have 20 civilians, and they all just grabbed a, a weapon and took to the streets and prevented the Russians from getting inside the capital. This is the Fox News Rundown, War on Ukraine. Hey folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Russia's war is months long at this point, and it doesn't seem that it will at any point soon reach the original goal of claiming Ukraine in its entirety for Russia. And that may no longer be the goal of Vladimir Putin. It is still, however, the stated goal of Ukraine's leader to never cede an inch of territory. And while that may not be possible, as eastern cities are falling, it's not because the Ukrainians haven't been fighting hand-to-hand. I traveled to Kiev about a week and a half ago now. I basically wanted to go in and study. I study war. John Spencer is a former infantry soldier who would become a West Point instructor and is now the chair of urban warfare studies at the Madison Policy Institute. He just made a special visit to Kiev and its suburbs to study the ongoing tactics used by Ukrainian fighters in their quest to keep their nation liberated. He's written a new book discussing how these fighters are able to stay in touch with friends and family while engaged in the bloodiest part of Ukraine's conflict. I wanted to study how the Ukrainians, who by all predictions were supposed to fall in three days and be overwhelmed by this massive Russian military, how they had one of the most strategic victories of the modern era in the Battle of Kiev, defending Kiev. Not The Russians didn't even get close to penetrating inside the city. So I traveled with a friend in into Ukraine 
the, the long journey that is now in order to get inside Ukraine all the way to Kiev and then went to every place, most almost all the places where any battle actually happened, Bucha, Irpin, Broberi, uh, all the way up to Ivankiv near Chernobyl, all around to talk to the fighters who had fought there, to walk the ground, understand the actual aspect of the battle. And, you know, I did a lot of pre-research, of course, through all as much as we can, through all the videos of this new TikTok war, we could watch engagements happening in real time almost, put all that research together, but then walk the ground to see what I could learn, the the stuff that isn't known, or the myths, or actually standing in like Bucha and understanding how complex the road networks are. I, I learned so much that I, I will put it together because I think it is a story that is a, will become one of the most significant battles of the modern era. Let's let's talk about that uh, that classification you just gave this uh, one of the, the the most strategic battles of the modern era. Um, what are you comparing them to in that case from from your perspective? Because again, not everyone gets to fight in a war and not fight. You know, on the is not involved in the strategic planning of a battle. You know, most most of us who would ever fight in a war are are there to fight, but not necessarily to devise the strategy. Right. And I, even I have I've been in that location where I had two combat tours in Iraq, uh, one in the invasion in 2003, one in really at the height of the Iraq civil war in 2008, when we were really struggling to help Iraq become a nation. So when I say strategic, you know, as like I taught at West Point, strategic means to the national objective, the overall reason that the war is happening. So Russia you know, on February 24th, invaded Ukraine to overtake the country, to to remove the democratically elected government and put in a Russian friendly and basically erase Ukraine as a, as a nation. That was the strategic goal. Now, in wars, there's always there's firefights and there's battles. And as we're seeing, even as we're, we're talking today, there's fighting going on in eastern Ukraine. Some of them have bigger implications, you know, now the city is lost or this line has moved. But Kyiv was a strategic battle because for Russia to achieve its goal of removing the, to erasing Ukraine as a country, removing the government, it had to penetrate the capital city. That was the strategic objective, to take out President Zelensky and his government, whether they kill him or force him to flee. They had to take the capital, the, the political seat of power, so what what we can compare it to is like the you know of the modern era battles like the the battle of Baghdad in 2003 once Baghdad fell the Iraqi army you know, took off their uniforms walked away Saddam Hussein was gone the battle of you know the initial invasion of Afghanistan when the Taliban you know, was removed from power going back to World War II you know the battle of Berlin you know th- these War-changing battles. Well, Kiev is the battle of Kiev in in early you know, late February of, of this year was was that uh, a decisive battle as it changed the the entire war. Basically, the war was won, in my opinion, at, in Kiev. Russia's goal was to take Ukraine because it couldn't get inside of Kiev to remove the gov- the governor government so the president didn't leave which is huge it failed in its strategic goal of the war now of course 
objective change in war. And that's what Putin did. He changed it like, oh, no, no, I wasn't. That wasn't my goal. I changed it. I just want to take take the Donbass. And now I'm going to focus on Eastern. Well, they, they did that because they lost their war and, and they basically started a new war for Eastern Donbass. And most people believe that once he takes enough of the Donbass, he'll say, OK, now I'm ready to talk about terms. But he Kiev changed. It saved Ukraine. Had Kiev fall, fell, it, Ukraine would not exist today. It would be, you know, Russian occupied Federation, you give it a name. You've been hearing John Spencer, former West Point instructor and now chair of urban warfare studies at the Madison Policy Institute, here on the Fox News Rundown, War on Ukraine. We'll have more with John Spencer straight ahead. Let's talk more about the Battle of Kiev. I think most Americans believe that no fighting has happened in Kiev, and with the exception of missiles raining down, uh, within the past few days, I think a, a lot of people believed Kiev was largely untouched. But there was fighting around Kiev, even in these suburbs, like these towns like Bucha. Uh, they are not far from Kiev proper, and I think a lot of people don't understand how close it, it did actually get. Uh, you're a, an urban warfare expert, which means you, you your, your expertise is in the the actual on the streets fighting of a war, not lobbing of missiles and strategic uh, uh, large scale weapons, but the, you know, the, the, the part of the war where soldiers are either going block to block and house to house or trying to defend block, uh, block to block house to house. So tell me about those types of battles that the Ukrainians have had to fight. Uh, they've certainly been asking uh, Europeans and, and, and uh, the United States for, the strategic help in terms of the uh, missile systems and, and, and whatnot, the drones. Uh, but ultimately, uh, these Ukrainian fighters have had to really fight face to face, if you will, with uh, with Russian troops. So what what were those battles like and, and why is that part of the war really so decisive? I mean, it's one thing to just bomb the enemy, but you know, as we've learned in Afghanistan and Iraq, I mean, wars are really fought in, in streets, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. As a student of war, as a professor of war, I know that you can't bomb into winning. You can't bomb cities into submission. That's been pretty much disproven in the history of war. You have to put soldiers on the ground to take what it is that you want, whether it's the capital city, um, to take the population. It requires... Um, you to go on the ground and take take it, and that's where. So I, I understand the the misconception that you know, Kiev, the Battle of Kiev, never really happened. But that's why I needed to travel and understand. And as an urban warfare guy, I understand cities as well as you know whether we talk New York City, Los Angeles. We all know that it's really as cities grow, it, it there there are cities within cities. There, you know, there are different whether it's you know. Harlem and and Queens and but it is the greater New York City. That's what we have in Kiev, where you have the, the city center and then you you work your way out and you have these villages and and peri urban or parts of the urban. So when I went there and, and I went to these different areas that are on the outskirts, one you realize that within hours of the Russian invasion, they were on an airfield and in, in one of the suburbs of Kiev called Hostomel which is only 15 miles from the Capitol building, from where they needed to get. 
uh, and there was just fierce fighting happening within the first hours. But then I went and, and went to the places where, like Bucha or Broveri, where the Russians, within hours again, not just flew helicopters into the capital city, they had driven from Belarus through Chernobyl, which is, becomes a part of the story later, of course, right. all the way down, and we're on the outskirts within miles of the city center in places like Erpin and Bucha and Broveri, where this is the interesting part of what I think the world was watching was we all thought they would just fall to the, the mighty Red Army. Um, and what I experienced was the in the amazing amount of Ukrainian civilians, volunteers, who came out to the streets and and stopped Russian forces on their street. They did amazing things to block the streets, to blow bridges, to they even flooded rivers, which is it's happened in war, but not at this scale to use the complex aspects of the urban areas to then funnel. So I don't know if you've ever seen the movie 300, like the hot gates of Thermopylae. Right. The Ukrainians funneled Russians into very narrow streets in places like Irpin and Bucha and Modervi and other locations. They they blew bridges, flooded rivers, put up um, steel like porcupine obstacles that are more they look like the beaches of Normandy than they do urban warfare. And they funneled these this powerful military into very narrow passes, just happened to be urban streets. And then demolished them like like two days into it. They, they stopped a convoy and they took out 100 Russian vehicles on one street in Bucha. So this is the kind of fighting that happened in Kiev. And I think the story hasn't been written because the war continues. Right. We're learning about kindergartners being struck today and and, and, and Putin's not stopping in, in his basically attempted genocide in Ukraine. But the Ukrainian military and civilians and I, and I really can't discount the amount of civilians I talked to who had you know maybe they'd served in the military before or they were just farmers and and blacksmiths kind of like our story of our revolution with their Lexington and Concord maybe you have one guy who'd served in the military but you have 20 civilians and they all just grabbed a, a weapon and took to the streets and prevented the Russians from getting inside the capital now, the Russians, after those first couple of days, of course, occupied and basically stopped where they were. And that's where you hear stories of like a 40-mile convoy that's stuck in outside of Kiev that can't get to the Russian soldiers to give them their fuel and the ammo they need. And again, the, this is the, the story of the Ukrainian will to fight. And I think this was kind of as we sit back in the United States and watch what's happening um, and watch these people fighting for free, their own freedom – it is such an incredibly inspiring story as it wasn't just like people like me who'd been in the military forever and, okay, I'm going to do my duty and I'm going to fight. But just just think about hundreds and hundreds of civilians, men, women, and, and I met 17, 16-year-old kids, their kids, who took to the streets and fought for themselves. Now, there was a point, you know, a week or two into it where the, the Russians stopped and occupied, and that's where they started committing all these horrible war crimes that we haven't seen uh, since the Nazis, to be very clear, of tying women's hands behind the back and shoot them in the back of the head, like in Bucha and Erpin and places, where the, the Russians are so frustrated that they've been defeated 
but they're holding what they've got and they're, and they're just taking the wrath out on all the civilians that aren't fighting. And then eventually the Ukrainian military pushes back and is it, you know, with these Russians that are cut off, start to attack the Russians in and around Kyiv, so much so that the Russians tuck their tail and run back into Belarus and then they reform these new units and attack the east of what we're seeing today. But there was intense urban fighting happening in Kyiv that because of the nature of kind of how we watched the war, we really didn't, I think we as in the, the, the West or the world, understand the amount of fighting that was happening house to house, street by street, as these Ukrainians formed this Spartan, you know, hot gates of Thermopylae and, and forced the Russians into the, these kill zones. Tell me about your book. It's coming out soon. Yes, I I wrote a book called Connected Soldiers, which is my, you know, it's mostly a memoir, but also, you know, I'm an academic. So a study of why soldiers fight. And I had three formidable experiences in my life. One where I was a part of the the invasion of Iraq in 2003, where we had no connectivity to the outside world. It was the band of brothers story that I had Mm -hmm. I had grew up learning about in like VFWs and things like that. And then I tell the story of going back in 2008 where the world had changed and so did the army. I could t- talk to my, my wife every day. I could – the letter writing was gone. My soldiers were getting updates from Facebooks that was impacting their war. I think I saw the change in war, and we're seeing it today in Ukraine as well, uh, about the fact that there is no divide between home and war, between the population and their soldiers because of connectivity and, and, you know, whether it's Elon Musk and Starlink or, or just just iPhones or whatever, there's no divide. So my last experience in 2018, after I had retired, my wife deployed, you know, and left me and three kids at home. But I, they were able to talk to her every day. It really impacted us. But I could tell it was impacting the soldiers. So this the book is called Connected Soldiers because that's the war that will be the future and what we're seeing in ukraine is ukrainians are talking to their families that have left the country every day but it's also you know empowering soldiers and but i think it's changed and that's what the book is about this changed aspect of war that will affect the future john spencer retired soldier west point instructor chair of the urban warfare studies at the madison policy forum and now author of connected soldiers the book is coming out I believe early next month. Thank you so much for being with us here on the Fox News Rundown, War on Ukraine. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.